Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Tanya. And I'm Carrie. We are both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode number 120. Today we are starting a new series all about the three P's of a Kodai-inspired classroom. Prepare, present, and practice. This episode will be all about the preparation stage. We'll also talk about our highs and lows from the week, discuss some ideas in our Know Better, Do Better segment, share a work smarter, not harder teacher tip, and in our CODA section, we'll give some specific recommendations of our favorite things we are enjoying in and out of the music room. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. So now it's time to talk about some highs and lows. Um, but before we talk about personal highs and lows, we want to give a combined high note and a shout out to the Northern Plains Kodai chapter in Fargo who hosted us last weekend for a workshop. We had a wonderful time. It was a wonderful, lovely group of music educators. We had so much fun presenting and hanging out with some of you afterwards. And it was just a blast to be with those folks in Fargo. Argo. Most definitely. Loved are, seeing all those people. Yes. Yeah. We are also very excited for some upcoming things we want to mention as well. So coming up um, October 6th, 7th, and 8th, we are going to be in Anchorage, Alaska, presenting for the Alaska ORF chapter. And we are so excited to be there with all of you. Cannot wait for that. And then on November 5th, just me, Carrie, I will be presenting for uh, the Seattle uh, Northwest Kodai Educators and WKE chapter. And I'm very excited to be with those folks. Yes. And then finally, on November 12th, Tanya and I together will be right here in our home state of Colorado. We will be presenting for Rocky, the regional organization of Colorado Kodai educators, on November 12th. And that will be up in uh, Fort Collins at Colorado State University. So if you are in any of those areas, we would love to see you at our presentations and if you are interested in having us come out and present for you, please get a hold of us. We would love to come see you and your music teacher friends. All right, so let's move on to some personal highs and lows. So Tanya gets to go first. What do you want to share today? Okay, um, the school year is rolling right along. And as I am in a new school, and you are as well, I'm really working hard to make connections with students and classes um, and make sure I am getting to know not just names, but getting to know my students. And one thing that I have been doing for a few years now is greeting students at the door um, and giving them the option for a high five, a hug, a handshake, or just a wave because I know that some students don't want to touch and I get that. That's fine. Um, anyway, and so my high is that over this past week, there have been a couple of times with my younger students, especially, where they've been at the door and if they've got Chromebooks in hand, especially, I have forgotten. And there's always like the, the second or third child in says, wait a minute, can we do greetings? Can we greet you? So that's just kind of a high to see that the students are getting into this routine and that it's something that they value. So I'm just excited and pleased that the students enjoy that part of walking in the room 
and it's just great validation to know that yes this is something that they need and this is something that they enjoy so it's just a small little high awesome yeah how about you well, I'm going to share a low, and it's kind of along the same theme of connections. I am very frustrated with myself and how slow I have been to learn my new students' names at my new school. And I really want to just chalk it up to it being an age thing. I also want to say um, I had COVID the first week of school, and COVID brain is definitely a thing. Um, I'm just really frustrated with myself because I've always been somebody who I felt good about learning names of students fairly quickly and I'm doing all the same things I've done. I did a ton of name games those first couple weeks. I've got their pictures on my seating charts in Idokio, but oh my goodness, it's just been really hard to remember all these names. So I was talking to my PE teammate about this, who's also new at my school this year and is much younger than me. And I said something about how I'm really frustrated. I'm having a hard time remembering students' names. And she said, oh, me too. And she chalks it up to, we see our students on a three-day rotation. So we see them three days in a row, and then we don't see them for six school days before we see them again. And um, she feels that that is like this weird amount of time where you're just starting to get it, and then they go away. Where when I saw my students for a week-long rotation during the COVID times, um, I was able to see them long enough that their names stuck longer in my long-term memory. I don't know. I'm sure all sorts of research has been and could be done about this, about short-term versus long-term memory and remembering student names, but I'm just frustrated with myself because usually by this point of the year, I would have their names pretty well down, and right now I don't. And it's it makes it hard for classroom management, but it's just also hard for creating those connections with students. That's really what the most frustrating part is. I hear you. And I know you know all those things because you mentioned them. Um, but yeah, having pictures, I'm still referring to my uh, Idokio pictures of kids in the seating chart like all the time. Like I yeah. hold my iPad and I on purpose say, well, and Austin, how about you? And like, I'm using the kids' names constantly. I'm singing the younger kids' names in kindergarten, first and second grade, because we do a roll call greeting and that helps a lot. And I know you know these things. Yeah, um, no, I bet it's helpful to say them out loud, sure. Yeah, and whew, I hear you though, because there are still a handful of students that I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't have my iPad and I don't remember your name right now. And you know, it's, oh, I just have to ask and help the, and have them help remind me that's all i know and the pe teacher being again younger and a little more peppy than me um she has a, a thing going with the kids where she calls them by the wrong name she has to do like five push-ups i'm Ooh. like oh my gosh i would never give myself a task that severe because man i would be like on the floor all day long um I and know. yeah my kids are very sweet about it um you know i don't think anyone's gotten super offended if i've called them by the wrong name but obviously it's important we talk about this all the time knowing your students names pronouncing them correctly and um you know it's just something i'm having to work on a little harder than usual this year i'll get there eventually though i understand yeah And now it's time for our main theme where we will discuss this specifically the preparation part in the PPP 
preparation present practice model that is common in a Kodai inspired teaching. So to give just a very brief explanation of this PPP model, um, this is a longer range plan in teaching when you're teaching, let's say a specific melodic or a specific rhythmic concept, although it can be applied, of course, to things that are not specifically melodic and rhythmic. So that needs to be said that this whole idea um, can be applied in any other musical or not even musical, but, you know, things that you are teaching, right? Yeah. Um, just wanted to make sure of that. Most teaching philosophies or methodologies have a discovery piece to them right yeah and here we are within that whole understanding of, of in the preparation stage everything looks like play it is play we are playing singing games we are singing we are exploring but we are not putting specific names to things um so for example let's take we'll talk later about um ray the me ray do the tone that is in between me and do. So we're going to be singing songs that have Ray. We're going to be um, pulling out the understanding of like, oh, here's a note that we don't know. And where is it? It's in between me and do. And we're going to be exploring the idea of Ray. We might play it on instruments. We will definitely sing it. We will do things physically, orally, kinesthetically to pull out this understanding of here's a new thing it's between me and doe yes but yes. we're not giving it a name quite yet and then in the prepper but the present part this is when you give the thing a name okay this is ray you show it on the staff you reinforce what they really have already learned about it's between me and doe um you show maybe the hand sign or maybe the body sign depending on what you're doing with your class at the time and then we have the practice stage which lasts forever because now that we understand this is ray and it's in between me and doe and this is how we write it and this is how we decode it and this is how we play it and this is how we sing it and then we are improvising with it we are making compositions with it and we are assessing the understanding of the students that here is this new concept and I understand these elements of my new concept that is between me and Doe. Um, here it is on the staff, here it is on my body, here it is with hand signs, here it is in my voice. I can recognize it here in this melodic pattern that I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah. Am I too long-winded or did I miss something? No, no, no. I think that is all, no, that's fantastic. And I think um, for those who haven't had any sort of, you know, formalized Kodai training or even those who are in the midst of it, the common question I hear a lot is, well, how long, how long should you be in each of these stages? And, and the, the answer, answer is, is always, always, it depends. It depends <laughs> because rhythmic elements are going to be um, easier as far as the preparation stage. Kids will grasp onto those a lot faster than melodic so generally rhythmic prep is going to be shorter than melodic prep 
So then when it comes to the presentation, that really is just one moment within a lesson. Um, you know, one lesson can be spent on the presentation and we'll do another episode all about presentation later, but it really is just that one moment where you call it into attention. And then, like you said, Tanya, you practice forever. You practice and you practice in so many different ways. Um, but then while you're practicing one concept, you are likely layering in starting to present another concept. And that's yes, starting really... to prepare. Yes. Oh, sorry. Prepare. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all good. <laughs> uh, but I also wanted to mention that when presentation happens, it's not just about the specific name for the thing, but it's about the relationship to other known concepts and um, just, well, calling attention to um, those relationships. For example, I do know music teachers who when prepping Ray, call it Ray. It's right. not about that it has this specific label. It's more that the presentation is, okay, now we know that here is this thing and here it's, it's, it's relationship to all the other things we know and here it is in the song literature we know and here now we're in practice and it's in new song literature that now you can read on your own because you're familiar with this specific concept but it's not just about well before we were calling it um middle and now we're calling it ray um it's not just about the name sure. it's about the relationship yeah yep yep totally all right so then we're gonna hone in now in just this preparation stage and then we'll save presentation and practice for later episodes. So we're going to talk about a melodic concept and then a rhythmic concept and just give some examples of some of the activities we might do during this preparation stage. So we're going to yeah. stick with Ray for our melodic example since we've already been talking about it. Um, so for me, Ray typically comes towards the end of second grade if we don't get to it the beginning of third grade. Um, that's kind of grade wise where Ray usually lands for me. Is it the same for you, Tanya? Yes. Yes, it is the same. Um, it would be, you know, second grade is just such a great time to really solidify so me law and make sure Ray is going on. And, and sometimes it takes and sometimes it needs a whole review in third grade. In fact, right. presently with my third grade, um, we are moving into me, Ray Doe, and really calling attention to Ray. Yeah, I'm doing the same with third grade. And we should also mention, since we are talking about Ray specifically, that we know some people choose to use a melodic sequence where you do do re me first rather than so me and then la um tani and i are both so me la fans so that's why we're saying in our sequence ray would come later if you do do re me first you can still apply some of these same ideas of what we're talking about today to to that work yes um, but and generally talk... oh go oh, ahead oh i was just gonna say generally when people talk about learning solfege and then the order that you do it in um i think most Kodai practitioners would agree that if you are teaching older beginners, say third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade on up, that you might want to start with Mi Re Do because the song literature is a little more developmentally where they are at and a little less sing-songy. And I mean, you know, honestly, you can sell any song to anybody depending on how you do it. Sure. Right? Yeah. But, um, Fourth graders, fifth graders are definitely going to be more at home singing songs with Mi Re Do 
and figuring out Mire Do and focusing first on that and then bringing them into Somi Law. And really everything is governed by the song literature. Yeah. That's why those songs are so important because the song literature drives the sequence of melodic or rhythmic concepts. 100%. And that's what I was going to talk about next. Oh, so sorry, great sorry. transition. No, no, that's great. About um, what makes a good... So if, if you had a song and and you it had Ray in it, but then is that a good song for teaching Ray specifically? So if you're looking for song literature to support your your teaching of Ray, what kind of things are you looking for, Tanya? You would like to to, to find a song with a smaller range of a tone set. So yeah, yeah. songs that are Mi Re Do, for example, Hot Cross Buns, Hot Cross Buns, um, Descending Mi Re Do, you're going to find a lot more often than Ascending do re mi uh -huh. and so this is why we keep saying mi re do is that's the order that you're going to find that tone set in a lot of times in american united states american folk song repertoire right um so a smaller tone set although you can and should also prep with tone sets that include so mi la right and then Ray Doe. So I'm thinking, great big house in New Orleans, 40 stories high, right? But that would be something I would consider for later prep because it's got that bigger tone set. Um, when it comes to presenting, and we'll get back you know, to that in another episode, but you do want to find that song in your prep repertoire that the kids love, 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 love. And so as you're doing some songs that have Ray in them, pay attention. What songs do they really love? What song do you really love? Um, and also for melodic, stick with that smaller tone set. And in this case, like Mi Re Do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So give us some more examples, Carrie, of some awesome song rep specifically for Ray. Oh, well, yeah, you mentioned Hot Crust Buns, Great Big House. Those are definitely songs that I use. Another really great one is a Hot Boat Squirrel, Idle Dumb, Idle Dumb, Hot Boat Squirrel, Idle Dumb Dee, there's a ray right there. Hot Boat Squirrel, Idle Dumb, Idle Dumb, Hot Boat Squirrel, Idle Dumb Dee. Me, Ray Doe at the yes. end. But I love that place where it just lingers on Ray for a moment there because the ears really tune into something different there. So yeah, that's definitely a, a go-to. And we're going to put these songs in the show notes. So if you're not mm -hmm. familiar with them, you'll be able to access them there. Um, so then other than singing the songs and playing the games or doing the movements that accompany them, then we want to start drawing attention to this new element you know, and right. whether you call it Ray or call it something else, you're drawing attention to something that is new. And we talk in our in our Coda inspired world about doing that in aural ways, in visual ways, and in kinesthetic ways, not necessarily in that order. You, you're going to mix and match throughout. Um, but that way you're meeting the modalities of all learners. However, well, we, we generally say it's best to start with things that are kinesthetic first yes. and move into aural and then move into visual. But I, mean, I was going to say, yeah, yeah. I'll do in all some three within, circles. In, yeah. Yeah. Like I know that in the Hulahan Taka realm of Kodai inspired teaching, they are very specific about starting kinesthetically. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and you can definitely go there. But, you know, if you still, again, if you haven't had your levels training and you're just starting to dabble with these ideas, I wouldn't get hung up too much on that. Just attempt to find, you know, activities where you're meeting those learning modalities. So you're just meeting the needs of all your students, really, is, yes. is what we're trying to get at. Right. And also just to acknowledge that all of us experiencing the same concept in many different ways um, is a fantastic thing because then that's how we truly understand that when we can incorporate this and we can show it physically and we can hear it and decode orally and we should see a visual representation of that like all of that that's how you really teach right yeah yeah, yeah. So let's get specific. Let's talk about, let's say you were doing hot cross buns in your classroom with your students. What is something you might do kinesthetically to, to draw attention to that new element? Well, since we're talking about um, a little bit younger students, maybe second grade, late second grade and third grade, I'm a big fan of moving our entire body um, in melodic with the melodic contour. And it's super easy when we're Mire doing because we can sing while we stand squat and maybe squat a little bit more or if you really want to get fancy you could kneel on the floor sitting might be a little much to get up <laughs> well for me let's right. just say for my niece mm -hmm. yeah but something that's big movements i like to start with big movements i'm a big fan of body signs mm -hmm. um until about mid third grade then i transition over into hand signs and i know there's different schools of thought on that but to me um i just think when kids can feel uh and when i say body signs of course this is a podcast but uh i am me ray doing with um me is hands on waist, ray or middle, whatever we're calling it, would be hands on thighs and do would be hands on kneecaps, right? Yep. So we can sing that way by touching our waist, thighs, knees, waist, thighs, knees, right? So that's another really big way to experience me, ray, do. Um, of course, hand signs are definitely something you're going to want to bring in at some point so you could also hot cross buns oh and here's a fun little thing when you um hand sign me ray doe in hot cross buns and you face a partner and you match your me's together if you are doing um, a right hand to a right hand two people facing each other both with their right hand when they do ray it actually makes a little x like you might see on a hot cross bun oh yeah cute i know so dorky <laughs> um and then you know you could create all kinds of stories about how, you know, we're going to show the bun, your <laughs> fist as dough when we see sing buns. I know yeah. it's silly, but <laughs> buns. <laughs> what about you? Do you have other physical ways of me mean, those, are, those are really the biggest ones for sure. Um, you know, another a favorite of mine, although this is definitely the smallest way to do it is a, is a hand staff. So if students hold up their staff, so their palm is facing them and their thumb is on top, then you can imagine your pinky is line one and up to your thumb being line five. And, you yes. know, assuming that they've already done this staff work with, you know, songs with so me la and then do then you can draw attention to the new note between me and do it's kind of a combination in that way of you know physical and as well as visual because you're also seeing it from the teacher so many of these things end up being a combination um but since that one is so small and fine motor i almost think that that's almost more of a visual than a kinesthetic because you're not moving very much you're just moving no. one yeah. your finger to show it but you know i still consider that to be physical because you're moving in some way you um, know honestly as far as 
hand staffs go. I do use a hand staff once we start playing recorder. And by the way, if you're me ray doing, it works so beautifully going into recorder if you do that oh, yeah. in third grade, because BAG is such a wonderful range for them to be singing in and they can match it with their recorder. And so that's another way to hear, to early experience, and then to like have different fingerings for your Mirei Do. Um, that's a really great way to start recorder. But as far as the hand staff goes, I think that's really hard. I mean, I've seen, it's very challenging for kids to like touch their finger, touch the space in between and touch yeah. the, you know, it's tricky. Um, and I know of some big uh, practitioners I won't name names who do hand staffs uh, and only hand staff, no hand signs, no body signs, but oh. starting from really young. And I just don't get how that, I don't know. I just use it as another tool. I do use it right away after I've presented so me on the staff for the first time. Oh, do I you? start using the hand staff right away. I do just because if I'm going to expect them to write on a staff or even put you know, bingo chips on a staff, then doing a hand staff to me is just a small. So I really want okay. them to kind of feel it, but it's not my one and only tool. It's just like well, one of, of many tools, you know? Okay. And well, let's talk. really like it. So. Yeah. All right. Oh, I hear you. I'm not obsessed so... with it. It's just one of the things. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so what about orally, Carrie? What's your go-to oral um, decoding, you know, hearing? Yeah. I mean, music. It's we're I hearing. Mean, it's really just like, okay, kids, I'm going to sing this pattern. I'm going to be starting on me. Where does the next note or pitch go? Does it go mm -hmm. higher or lower? So if I'm singing hot cross buns and hot is a me, where does cross go? Hot cross. And, you know, sometimes I might help them by moving my head down ever so slightly. I will say, and I will be fully transparent in this, I think aural prep is the hardest be just because kids, it's hard for kids to take away the physical and the visual and only focus on the aural. That's why it's so important, but that's also why it's hard. So but yes, um, yes, for sure. It's just really asking questions and drawing their attention to, is this note higher or lower? And then, you know, when you get into older students, if you are doing doing fa or t, you can try to draw their attention to whether it sounds like a big step or a small step. Um, at this age, second grade, I'm asking them if it sounds like a skip or a step. If they say a skip, then I would sing it wrong with a skip and say, oh, is that how it sounded? You know, so if they say, oh, it sounds like a skip, then I'd say hot cross buns. Does that sound right to you? Oh, no, that's too big, you know. So yeah. if they give the wrong answer, you have to sing it the way they said it. So they yes. can hear why it's the wrong. Answer. And you can also pull in the instruments. Absolutely. With this, with barred instruments. But then you're giving them a visual cue too. Well, that's true. And But I want to go back to something you said that was really smart uh, because you said, does it go higher or lower or, or what? And that's really, it's really important to use the, that vocabulary. Does it go higher? Does it go lower? Does it stay the same? Um, and not do what I used to do way back when and then had to, unjumble everything is that I would say, all right, when I sing hot cross, are they same or different? And that's all kinds of confusing because you've got the text in there. Yeah, it's a different word. It could it's be a different word. Rhythm. So then you have to say, all right, I'm going to take away the words. You tell me same or different. Lulu. And then, you know, sure. you might get at it. But I really, it's really good to zone in. Is it higher? Is it lower? Does it stay, stay the same? 
Yeah. And another thing, um, Arlene, you can do, and this is very Del Crozian as well, is to do some sort of activity where you're having students move around the room to some music. And whenever you play that they have to freeze or jump on a poly dot or something. But if you play a different interval, they don't move or they, they do a different movement, you know? So it's really just getting them to identify a certain melodic pattern. In this case, it would be mi, re, do, um, you know? So it's not necessarily drawing attention to that specific pitch, but it's more attention to the full pattern, melodic pattern. So that's another RLQ kind of thing you can do. Well, hey, I'm just uh, spitballing here. Tell sure. me if this would be, I've not tried this, but I was thinking along that line of that kind of Del Crow's activity, could you play um, just me and having them have them march around matching your beats that you're playing and then say, but if you hear it go higher, um, raise your arms in your in the air. If you hear it go lower, bend down. I don't know. Maybe take out the higher. Maybe we're just focusing in on hearing it a step lower. That yeah, might be kind I mean, of boring. I don't know. I think musically that just might be a little stale. Yeah, musically it might not be. Awesome. Well, I know. I was like, could you could you put a tonic? You know, I mean, could you put a uh, a chord with it? But no, that kind of messes up everything. Right. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of an, I think it's like a considered like an early prep aural thing where you're really, again, just trying to hear that that stepwise pattern versus like a skipwise pattern or, or yes. a so-me-la pattern. Um, it's just tone, it's just honing in on it within right. the context of the pattern. And that's really, that's exactly what we want to do anyway, because yeah. we are not really learning about the specific pitch without any context of the rest of the patterns. You want them sure. to hear that mi re do pattern. Yeah. yeah. All right, and then let's uh, let's talk about visual things. This is where I, I think it's the most fun because <laughs> I'm most, such a visual learner, and I know so many of easy. us are. Yes. Yeah, it's the easiest one for sure. But that's why you don't want to bring it in. This is where I struggle, and I I have failed in the past, and I still occasionally do. Is I bring in the visual too early, and then they start relying on the visual, and I realize they're not singing tunefully, or mm -hmm. they're singing do re mi instead of mi re do, or whatever. Right. Um, I know it's because I brought in the visuals too soon. So this is something I'm working on: um, is not bringing in the visuals too quickly. Yes. But what are yeah. some things that you love to do visually, Tanya? I'm a big fan of taking the text of the song and having kids place it with the melodic contour. Yeah. Just not on a staff, just in space. Where So if we are playing, if we're doing um, idle dumb, idle dumb, you know, hop boat squirrel, where they, and this is where Seesaw is a wonderful tool or like maybe Jamboard. I've not tried anything on Jamboard, but I'm sure you could do, you could put things in Jamboard and have kids move it around. It and this is again, where I miss having my smart notebook for the smart board because yeah. you could, well, and then if you wanna go old school, you could just like write out the words on construction paper or index cards and just mag put a magnet on the back and put them on a board where kids have to figure out, okay, what direction does the melody go? And let's set the words just like that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Then, starting yeah. 
with it just being in space and not giving them a staff or anything to put it on is really important. And then later on, you can do the same activity, maybe with a different song, but then it is on the staff so they can see that the me that they know is on a line and the do that they know is on a line, but the unknown pitch is in the space in between. And maybe instead of you know, the word cross, you have a picture of a hot cross bun there instead, you know, as your note head or whatever you want to do. Exactly. Yeah. This is where you can go really nuts with all the visuals and PowerPoints and all that kind of stuff. Yes. And get very cute with all of your icons Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, color coding the unknown pitch with a different, like maybe it's all buns and maybe the um, ray bun is orange and the rest of them are brown and that yeah. kind of thing. And I'm yeah, a big so. fan of that on the smart board. I would give the kids like, oh, circle all the, the dough buns and they would circle those red. Now let's circle all the me buns yellow. And then, you know, yes. and I know be careful with the color coding, but that's something else you can do. Um, doesn't mean it has to be C dough. You could be an F dough and you could still make the F red as long as you're not playing it on the boom markers. But just using that general idea of dough being red me being yellow, Ray being orange, you could do a lot with color coding. Just don't attach it to CEDO all the time. That's yes, this is true. word of warning with that. Well, and this is why in, in the Kodai Inspired Classroom, most of the time we're not showing treble clefs and we're not showing mm-hmm. key signatures because it's about, you know, showing the intervallic relationships and not worrying about clefs or specific keys. And I get it. Anybody with perfect pitch might go a little nuts so but in my 26 years 27 years of teaching no one has ever complained about where we were on the staff versus what we were singing and connecting it to um, right you know yeah yeah. I also want to give a shout out to uh, to tone ladders and or solfa street houses or music street houses. And we always give credit where credit is due. Sister Lorna Zemke is the one who can be originally attributed to this idea of music street with the different houses representing the different pitches. Um, I call it solfa street, but I still give her that credit for that. And mine is like a little Velcro thing where I have little houses that I can Velcro on and off the street. I know there's like really nice sets you can buy or create yourself and maybe you either have a blank space for the unknown pitch or sometime I've seen a little for sale sign that's kind of a cute idea and Um, I have my set with magnets on the back yeah and that really shows again the steps and the skips and the relationship of the pitches to each other and then you can do the same thing with a tone ladder so maybe you just have either through hand signs if you're doing that or just little round buttons that say do re mi whatever and so you've got your do and then a space and then a mi you know just anything like that that's giving the students that that visual representation of what they're singing and then like you said eventually playing it on the instruments and you could i mean i have in the melodic prep stage had people play on the bars because if you're doing solfa the bars don't necessarily have solfa some of them do but not the ones yes. that i do so like if we're playing an f do we can say if do is f and me is a what's the unknown note and they could say g you know but that doesn't necessarily mean they know it's ray um i've done a little bit of that in prep not a ton though i usually say i, that I love for using practice. for specifically for ray i do love having them figure out songs on the bars when it's just a mi re do song Mm -hmm. because then they see these are all next door neighbors right they are all next door to each other um i wanted to go back to tone ladders for a minute because tone ladders is for the younger students and i'm talking like 
first grade, second grade, third grade, early third grade. Tone ladders are something I want to bring in a little bit later because a tone ladder is up and down. Yeah. And I find that I still have students, not all, but a few of them are still struggling when we're writing things on a staff. They will line up, for example, when we sew me it. Um, they will line up sew with me, which is a, a lovely triad to hear, but, sure. you know, they are not entirely understanding that we are reading um, horizontally and vertically yeah, on a music hard. staff, right? So yeah, this is yeah. why I wait a little bit later to bring in the tone ladder because when you bring in that tone ladder and they've got the visual of seeing does on the bottom, you know, and then there's the mystery pitch and then Ray and then uh, space and then so and la, um, they see it all lined up and that's not the way I want them to put it on the staff. It's yeah. just a small thing, you know? No, it's true. It is true. Yeah. And even with Solfa Street, my students will then struggle with, you know, and we'll talk more about this with the practice because I think this is really when staff work comes in. But, you know, um, if we are writing, they have a hard time writing me first. They want to still write do first and, right. then, and then me because that's how they see it on Solfa Street or Music Street. So then right. I have to remind them, you know, well, the, the houses, sometimes they like to party and shake it up a little bit, but they still have their place on the staff, you know. So we'll, we'll talk about that more with practice. Well, and then but... if you, you know, when you did do, because let's be clear about the sequence that you and I are coming from melodically would be first so me happens and those yeah. happen at the same time because exactly. we're comparing them to each other and then la right above so happens and you know we're comparing la to so and me and then when we bring in doe we've got the mayor of the town doe and it's our home base mm -hmm. um and along with doe there's something called a doe clef that is a wonderful tool because like we were talking about treble clefs before we're not using them but when we use a doe clef the doe clef shows you exactly where doe lives right and like you were just saying, if a song starts on me, but they have the tendency to want to start on doe, this is where you have that doe clef and you go, okay, well, we know where doe is. And when we get to doe, it's going to be here. But now we've got to count up to me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It just takes some talking. I, I just, especially with doe, re, me and me, re, doe, I find they get those, those two patterns backwards often. Yes, definitely. I, I digress. Okay, That's so okay. those are all great ideas for melodic stuff. Let's talk about rhythmic, which tends to be easier. We know that yes. rhythmic concepts are are easier to teach. And so let's talk about why they're easier. Oh, I mean. Because it's easier to keep a steady beat than it is to sing in tune. Exactly, it's, yeah, it's a lower cognitive level. And, yeah. you know, if you think about visually what's going on, if you're just isolating rhythm through stick notation, um, and you're taking it off the staff, you're not having to read vertically and horizontally, you're just reading horizontally. Yeah, it's just a much lower cognitive skill. For um, sure. So we're, we're going to talk about a higher rhythmic concept, and for that reason, um, we're going to talk about T-Ticka. So this would be eighth to sixteenth note combination, which, yeah. you know, that, that can happen in different places in your rhythmic sequence. I know some people like to do T-Ticka as well as Ticka-T in the same 
year as Tikka Tikka. So for a lot of people, that's third grade. Um, I I have been waiting and doing Tea Tikka way later, um, just because that's where it technically lies in our Colorado state standards. So I was like, ah, I'll give it a go. And I kind of like it there. So I've been doing it in fifth grade. So in my mm -hmm. sequence, my students um, are learning Tita uh, Tea or Syncopa and Tom Tea, as well as isolated TT before I do T Ticka and Ticka Tee. So, it, you know, and I know you mentioned, Tanya, that you'll do T Ticka, but then you'll have some things before you do Ticka Tee because then they confuse those two. Right? Yeah, I don't like doing T Ticka and Ticka Tee um, close in time because yeah. I've learned that they will confuse them. Yeah. So, yes. I mean, we're talking definitely upper grades. I mean, this could be third, it could be fourth, it could be fifth, depending on where it lands in your sequence, but definitely what we would consider a more upper grade concept. So rhythmically, when you're looking for a song to isolate and call attention to a specific rhythm, rhythm Tanya, what mm -hmm. are you looking for there? I'm like interviewing yeah. you here. It's fun. You mean specific songs or where it is? Just in general, if you were looking for a song that you really wanted to use for your early prep of T Ticka, what kind of things? Yeah, where 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 is the rhythm and the how? What are you looking for? But specifically okay. rhythmically. Well, I'm usually a big fan if the new rhythmic element uh, shows up in the third beat, but the song literature really shows that most of my T Ticka songs happen in the very first beat. So, okay. That's specific to Tea Ticka. Yeah, that, that's so, true. When I'm thinking about all the, the folk songs. But um, when it comes to us practicing rhythms and, and things, I really think that in 4-4 four, four time, the third beat is a really strong place to see, a good place to see a new rhythm because that's how we started with ta ta ti ti ta yeah, and, yeah which is also driven by the song literature but then we've got that issue of so many t ticka songs have the t ticka right away in the first beat that is true yeah yes. another thing i struggle with 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 the repertoire in t ticka is that i have so many foreign language t ticka songs that's when, true too that is yes. interesting yeah and when it comes to presenting i think it's more challenging to present a concept with a foreign language song. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking, okay, so the song, Jean to la moon la tiki tiki taka, Jean to la moon la taka, little French song. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, I was um, thinking about the Deb Kahora, the la 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 Exactly. And I like that just because you're singing la 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 So really you're focusing on the rhythm because the syllable is always la. And also zoom golly 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 zoom golly golly zoom golly. Same thing, first beat, right? But one of my favorite tea ticka songs and one of my favorite older song beginner songs anyway is the Taylor and the Mouse, which is that there was a tailor had a mouse. Hi diddle, I'm come fiddle, right? The hi diddle, hi diddle, hi diddle, hi diddle. Did you notice everything that we just sang has a minor tone set too, which is it really does, <laughs> which is kind of kind of nice and handy because I happen to low law pretty close to when I tea ticka. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, that's true. Yeah, that's that true works well. doing it in that third grade year. I did want to mention, um, you know, and not all the songs follow this rule and I wouldn't say it's a hard rule, but when I'm looking at T-Ticka, especially for early prep, I'm going to avoid songs that also have Ticka Ticka. So, oh, yeah. I mean, okay. Jean Moulin does have a Ticka Ticka in it as well. Um, yes. but I think, you know, I would maybe start with one of the ones that doesn't just because that could very easily get confused. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, what's that? Chicka Lee Lilo. Oh yeah. Lie, 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 chicka lie. And another minor. Song. Yeah. <laughs> so fun. So there you minor go. Songs are so fun. So let's talk kinesthetically. What kind of things might we do to draw attention to that new rhythm? Well, of course, we are playing it. We are tapping it. We are recognizing that we've got three sounds on that beat. Mm -hmm. Um if you can if students are are able to step a beat and also play the rhythm on their hands that's very good so that they can feel oh look i stepped once but here's three sounds oh and where's the longest sound so when it comes to t ticka you just have to make sure you slow those songs down yeah. for them to feel and really decode here we have three uneven sounds on one beat yeah that's important you got to call attention to the fact that the first sound is longer and the second two are shorter and you know i know we used to call ta long and tt short short back in first grade but we're far enough removed now that mm -hmm. i do say long short short for t yeah. um which can be a challenge if you go too fast right because that's a lot to say on one beat so yeah i agree performance tempo versus teaching tempo it's okay to exactly. slow something down to a teaching tempo when you're drawing attention to that element and yeah, yeah. Beat versus and rhythm is huge for pretty much all rhythmic elements that's why it never goes away you teach that in first away. grade and it never goes away that's why i have those a sign that's more primary beat versus rhythm um you know friendly and then an older kid beat versus rhythm friendly sign that it can yeah. flip around and uh, experience that um I know that there's lots of songs that are that have T ticka and also have T ticka T. Right. Exactly. And I stay away from those oh, yes, when exactly. I'm focused on just T ticka because I do teach T ticka before ticka T. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So then Arlie, I mean, we kind of talked about drawing their attention to the fact there's a long sound versus a short, short sound, um, mm -hmm. you know, in the second half of the beat. Again, you could definitely do something kind of dull crozy in here where you're having them quick react to different rhythms that you are doing. So you could say for, you know, the ta's, I want you to step around the room. For the tt's, I want you to snap around the room. For the ticka tickas, I want you to tap your head while you're stepping the beat around the room. But when you hear this long, short, short short I want you to pat it on your belly or something like that you know so you're playing or something or playing it on a hand drum and they're moving in response to what they're hearing right yes um, and then another way you can have them really tune into those tea tickets is you can give them a small percussion instrument and we're gonna read this rhythm for this song and all of those long short shorts you're going to play you're going to click your rhythm sticks together for that yeah if it's not the long short short then play the rhythm on the floor for example yeah, yeah. yeah. that's great 
And then visually, we're doing a lot of stick notation. So meaning you're going to take the rhythm of whatever song you're doing, you can take the note heads off unless it's a half note. Um, but if we're just working with ta, ti, ti, tick, ti, tika, um, take the note heads off. So you're just looking at the stems or the sticks as we call it. Um, mm -hmm. And then instead of the tika where it lands you might draw a horizontal long and then two little short shorts yes. following it or some sort of rhythm or some sort of iconic notation mine looks like a morris code just like what you described exactly yes yeah and then i boy i miss my smart notebook because what i used to do is group those and my short short they wouldn't they would be not they'd be definitely shorter than the long line um but i would group those together and then I would turn, rotate it so they became stems and then turn it into a tea ticker. Oh, so yeah, I mean, yeah, cute. Yeah, I mean, it's no, a small totally thing. Makes sense. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. And then you can also have some fun, you know, this is kind of a combination of aural and visual too. Like, for example, if you want to do like a word composition with fruits, right? So, oh, yeah. Grape can be your ta and, um, uh -oh, what's going to be a good TT? Uh, kiwi could be your mm -hmm. TT. Ticka ticka, watermelon is always a great always choice. Watermelon. And then what is your tea ticka going to be in this situation? Raspberry. Or strawberry. Yeah, both exactly. of those work well. So you could have little rhythm cards or little word cards that have the rhythm for the known ones along with the fruit. But then for your raspberry or your strawberry or whatever, you've got the long short short. And then they can work in small groups or um, in pairs or whatever to create a little word composition. And that could be the B section to a song you sing, like red are strawberries, redder than red roses is for another sure. good one for Titica. Um, you know, you can relate it to whatever song you're doing. Um, or they can do it, like you said, individually on Seesaw or Jamboard or something. Um, but we're big fans of Seesaw because after they drag and drop those to wherever they want to put them, then they can record themselves. And now it's yes. an assessment. Are they oh, clapping yes. and speaking those things accurately? Um, and then that's a really good way for you to tell, am I ready to present? Because throughout this whole preparation, stage, whether you're doing it melodically or rhythmically, you are constantly doing those formative assessments yep. where you're checking to see, are they ready? Are they ready? And once you have critical mass that they are singing it tunefully or clapping it accurately, then you know they're going to be ready for you to present pretty soon. And we'll talk yes. all about presentation in our, in our next episode. Yeah. Yeah. So generally, Carrie, going back to when you were saying that people always ask, how long, how long do we prep? Yeah. Well, and really the answer is it depends or as long as it takes or whatever. When, when I am prepping, let's say tea ticker, I think I would probably, and, and now I have, I see students every day for a week. So the way I prep and present things is a little bit different because I try to do some, I try to focus on a concept within a week so that if I see the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and we're using this song literature and we're doing all these wonderful oral kinesthetic and visual things that hopefully on Thursday I can present this concept. And I'm talking specifically rhythmically. Yeah. Um, I have noticed that I, I can generally, if I don't have fire drills or missing days, I can generally present something on Thursday and then we start really digging into practice 
on Friday. For tea tikka, I would say that does flow well. Yeah. So I'm we're talking three days of or three class periods of prep using three to four songs and then really calling attention to and presenting on Thursday. That is not a hard and fast rule though. Sure. Because it depends on the concept and it depends on the kids and their background knowledge. And there have been times where I present and then I notice, oh, we don't really get it. So that's when I have to back up the train and go back to prep. Because if you think you are in the practice realm and you're still explaining a lot and they're still very confused and not playing rhythms correctly, for example, then you're not really practicing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah you're, but I know yeah, I'm getting ahead of myself. So, yeah, no. And that's true. Like, if, I mean, if it's going to be a concept like a syncopa or a Tom T, something that involves, you know, going over two beats or, you know, this idea of, you know, tying things together and things off the beat and that kind of thing, that's going to be a lot more complicated. One beat rhythms, ticka ticka, tee ticka ticka tee, those are going to be generally easy and, and quicker to prep. And in mm-hmm. general, as kids get older, my prep becomes a lot shorter. Because we all know that older kids get to a point where we're like, well, we just know that it's fa. Yes, exactly. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm going to skip prep altogether, though. It's still important that we prep it so that they're hearing it. And especially with fa, they're hearing that half step specifically. So that doesn't mean I skip it altogether because I think that is where the temptation is. But then it's like, well, let's just slap it on the staff, call it fa, and call it a day. But we know that they still need that time to really hear it and understand it and dissect it to really, truly be able to work with it because it's not just about labeling the thing as you said it's about its relationship to the other things it's about hearing it within the patterns and within the context of music and not just this is a fall we call it fall because what does that mean right exactly and i want to highlight something else you said because i think that this is a misunderstanding often as far as like kodai inspired teaching is that when you're prepping something that's not the only thing you're doing in class yeah it's not like kids are in the room and it's all about tea ticka and it's only tea ticka now okay i know you've got a learning target expectation and success criteria and yes if you are mostly working on tea ticka then you use your prep language within that learning target and say i can decode decode patterns with long short short mm-hmm. i think i mean for that that fits the bill for my assessment my administrative world yeah and what they want to see and that does that still doesn't mean that that's the only thing we're focused on right we will probably we're probably doing other practice of a melodic element at the same time with other songs mm-hmm. um we might be doing things on form we might be doing things with movement and phrasing and it's not just all now we're in tea land and we will not leave until we know tea it's not right. like that yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, our, our general thing we always say is if you want to learn more, if you want to dig yeah. into this for real, Kodai Levels is where it's at because that's where you learn to create these concept plans featuring the PPP sequence, but then you also learn how to layer those concept plans on top of each other to create your yearly plans. And then from those activities, you create your lesson plans. And it's this beautiful, magical thing that all comes together and makes sense. It's hard to to get the full picture just by listening to this one podcast or even just by 
reading that one book. So, um, you know, this, this is the down and dirty just to give your brain thinking about it. Um, but if you have not yet taken Kodai levels and this is something that intrigues you, we definitely recommend that being your next step. Yes. And if you've listened this far and you don't have your Kodai levels, then, (laughs) and, and you're thinking and, and wheels are turning and you don't want to shut us off because we're into the weeds of all the things. If you're still here, you should take Kodai levels if you don't have them already. Yeah, 100%. So now it is time for our Know Better, Do Better segment where we discuss uh, a practice or literature or just something that we are rethinking in our classroom to uh, have a more culturally responsive classroom, inclusive classroom. So Tanya, what would you like to talk about? All right. So this past summer, we read for our book group study for Music Teacher Coffee Talk, Culturally Responsive Teaching and the Brain by Zaretta Hammond, which was a fantastic read. And I am still digging into it and trying to apply some things to my teaching this school year. So I want to go back to this idea of becoming a warm demander. Mm. Because when we were reading this book, it was it was illuminating in many ways, and, th- and there's so much to it. Um, you can go back and listen to those episodes from this past summer, summer 2022. But the idea of a war- being a warm demander is that you, as the facilitator and the leader of the class, you are kind, loving, supportive. You're making connections and relationships with students, and you are also pushing them, demanding more of them that just one more rep or just a little bit further, I'm going to stretch you, that kind of idea. And I was remembering this and and looking at this, and I just wanted to read a little bit um, directly from the book, which, and I'm, if you're following along, I'm on um, the chapter that is called Establishing Alliance and Learning Partnership. All right. Your job is to find a way to bring the student into the zone of proximal development while in a state of relaxed alertness so that he experiences the appropriate cognitive challenge that will stimulate his neurons and help his dendrites grow, which is a mouthful. Yeah. But (laughs) it's another way of casual reading for us today. (laughs) It's just another way of saying that you need to create an environment where all students feel valued and loved and they can be relaxed and comfortable so that they can be alert and receptive to what we're demanding. And when we talked back in the summer, Carrie, and we talked about where we saw ourselves on this kind of matrix of like what kind of teacher we are, I really came to the conclusion that I don't, I think that I, I do the warmness, but I don't do the demandness Hmm. enough. Um, And it's just something that I would like to work on. So my overall suggestion would be, first of all, to read this book, if you have not read the book, but also to, to be alert about not just creating a warm, friendly environment and making those relationships, but that now that you have those relationships to 
push your students a little bit more to challenge them a little bit more because they deserve that. Yeah. hundred percent. And now it's time for a work smarter, not harder teacher tip. And Carrie, what thing is going to rock our world and change our entire practice? This is something that is just very simple, and many of you might already know about it, but I just think it's a lovely little thing, and I think it makes things look so nice and tidy. And I'm talking about checkboxes in Google things. So specifically, Google Documents and Sheets are where I've used them, although you could probably find them in other places. So it's like creating a bulleted list, but instead you get little boxes, and you can actually literally check them um, as you go, so whether you're creating a to-do list or some sort of tracking system um, and then uh, you can find them in Google Docs up on your menu like next to your your uh, bullet list there's a specific one on the side for checkboxes and then if you're in Google Sheets you can just highlight the cells you want to add a checkbox to click insert and then click checkbox. So some ways that I've been using them um, with my choir, I do take attendance in my choir, I track attendance. So I have for each date in my Google spreadsheet, I have, you know, a checkbox with attendance and I just check, 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 check as I go taking attendance with the kids. So instead of, I used to have an Excel spreadsheet and I would write like an X and I would just do an X in each shell. And I, I mean, it's, it's just a small thing, but it just looks so neat and tidy. And I just really like the way that it looks. Um, I'm also keeping track in all of my classes. I'm trying to be better about, you know how sometimes you'll have an extra class in your rotation and you fill that extra class with class with some sort of extension activity. Uh -huh. So it might be like, oh, I'm going to do like this boom marker play along on YouTube, or I'm going to do a stations day, or I'm going to do a day on Seesaw with some extra activities. So I've created a spreadsheet for all of my classes and it's like rhythm play along, Seesaw, stations, it's like all the different types of extension activities. And as I've been doing them with the classes, I've been checking them off. So oh, the next yeah. time I have an extension day, I can look at that spreadsheet and go, well, we did stations last time on an extension day. So maybe this time I'll do something different or, Hey, I'll do stations again, but now I know they've done them already. So I can give them different ones or we can do five instead of four. Cause they'll be able to do them more quickly. So anyways, the check boxes are just a cute visual way just to keep track of all the things we need to keep track of in That's Google so stuff. Cool. Can I can I give a bonus? Yeah. Okay. Well, um Google Keep, you know, which oh, is yeah. a I use it all the time and you can do lots of multiple lists of to-do things with checkboxes. That if you have an Apple Watch, which I just got for my birthday in July, and I know you got one earlier for Mother's Day, but Google Keep is also on your Apple Watch, and your checklists show up, and when you click a box, it makes a little sound. Oh, that's so cute. And gives you the little haptics. It's very cute. We need yeah. motivation like that, don't we? Oh, I do, yes. I love it. Yay, checkboxes. Yay. So now it's time for the CODA section where we talk about something we are enjoying in or out of the classroom. So Tanya, you're up. All right, I'm going to go with out of the classroom because 
you know, we need some downtime too. And it's autumn. It's officially fall. Yay. Yay. Hooray. The and most wonderful time of the year. I, I think so. So I know it's very basic, but I do love fall and I'm a big fan of, um, cozy music. And I definitely have some specific artists and albums that are most delicious in the fall. <laughs> and one of my favorite artists to listen to in the fall is Nick Drake, who um, is a guitarist, singer-songwriter, was a guitarist, singer-songwriter who sadly passed. Um, and he was active in the 70s. You might have heard the song Pink Moon. That's him. And his music is just wonderful fall music. Light a candle, grab your Afghan, listen to some Nick Drake, eat some pumpkin bread with chocolate chips, yeah. drink a tea or something, and listen to some Nick Drake. It'll get you in the fall mood. Instead of tea, you can drink hot chocolate with a little fireball in it. You could. <laughs> or coffee. I, I'm, oh, my gosh. Uh, you like coffee, for sure. Uh, <laughs> I just oh, but... <laughs> since we're talking out of the classroom, we would be way out of the classroom. <laughs> way out of the classroom, yeah. And if you need a starting place, um, his album, Five Leaves Left, is probably one of my favorite. It seems like all of his songs that he wrote, he wrote in the fall. It seems they all seem to center around. There's lots of fall titles. And, and anyway, good stuff. Nice. Mellow, mellow, mellow. Awesome. And you? I have a, a spooky podcast to recommend. Oh, do people die? Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, if you are loving things like My Favorite Murder, like I do, um, this podcast you probably have heard of already and maybe have listened to. So it's called Buried Bones, and it's a oh, new my. podcast, and it's on the same network as My Favorite Murder. So it's it's the exactly right network for those of you who pay attention. I'm just going to read the description because it's just perfect. Each week, Buried Bones explores some of history's most dramatic true crime cases from centuries ago using their individual expertise journalist kate winkler dawson and retired cold case investigator paul holes bring new insights to old mysteries and they've had two episodes or three episodes i think as of today yes three so far and they're all fantastic i i mean i i enjoy true crime but i especially love the historical ones so this one has been really fun to listen to because it's like um, Paul Holes really kind of d dissects these historical podcasts through a 21st century lens, thinking about forensic, you know, practices that we do now that couldn't or weren't done back then. And uh, it's just really interesting. It's just really, and I just think the, the hosts are great and it's just a really fun listen. So uh, Buried Bones is what it's called. Wow, I'm not sure I can handle it. Nothing so far has been, well, the first, yeah, okay, never mind. It was, <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, the last one I didn't think was too bad as far as gruesome. The first one was slightly gruesome. There was definitely blood involved. But, um, you know, and that's kind of the point is that maybe they're easier to listen to because they are historical podcasts. But that's also the point that Kit Winkler Dawson is trying to get across is just because these are historical podcasts doesn't mean 
we should care any less for the people and their families and the way their deaths affected people at the time and maybe still do. So, you know, it is creating an emotional attachment to something that happened a long time ago, but and still a fun, like investigative podcasty, true crimey kind of way. So it's not as funny as my favorite murder as far as the comedy sense goes. It's it's definitely more true crime, but it's still light that's not the word i'm looking for entertaining in whatever way you want to interpret that word <laughs> okay <laughs> okay oh great we've reached the double bar line thank you for listening to music teacher coffee talk show notes can be found at music teacher coffee talk podcast.com you can connect with us on facebook and instagram just look for music teacher coffee talk if you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes to help others find this podcast. And we always appreciate folks buying us a coffee, so look for that link on our show notes and on our Facebook page. In our next episode, we'll be talking all about the presentation stage of a Kodai-inspired classroom. Until next time, this is Carrie. And this is Tanya wishing you happy musicking. <laughs>